Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, glad you're with us on the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Pull up the stool. We're ready for you. We're glad you're here. And we've got plenty to talk about today. Jim, we mentioned at the start of the impeachment process that we're not going to dive into it day after day. If something major happens, we'll get into it, like uh, the day Gordon Sondland testified and so forth. Today, the Judiciary Committee took over, and it's Constitutional Law Professor Day uh, on Capitol Hill. So uh, you know that's going to be riveting, riveting stuff, because uh, there's nothing more exciting than constitutional law professors. What's more is when they do veer away from their professorial uh, legal jargon and and things like that, you get things like the uh, Michael Gerhardt, the University of North Carolina law professor, who said the president's serious misconduct, including bribery, although I think really he was kind of offering a bribe, not taking a bribe, uh, soliciting a personal favor from a foreign leader in exchange for his exercise of power, and obstructing justice in Congress are worse than the misconduct of any prior president. Greg, I'm, you're, you're a well-informed guy. I'm sure I'm sure many listeners off the top of their heads, things are popping up. You're like, you know, you know, eight presidents own slaves in the White House. That strikes me as worse. Uh, FDR, Japanese internment camps, tens of thousands of law-abiding Americans put into internment camps and imprisoned for four years just because of their ancestry. Woodrow Wilson, resegregating the federal government, the Alien Sedition Act. Aaron Burr killed a guy. That, <laughs> that'd be worse. He wasn't president, wasn't but I get your point. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so the hyperbole is uh, running wild. And uh, all that to say that impeachment is not one of our three martinis today. Uh, as we mentioned in our social media postings yesterday, but uh, didn't have time in the in the podcast itself on Tuesday, because of when we recorded, we didn't know that Kamala Harris was dropping out of the presidential race. But Kamala Harris is dropping out of the presidential race, and that is exceedingly good news. Uh, She posted about a four-minute video uh, to social media. Here's a little bit of that. I've taken stock, and I've looked at this from every angle. And over the last few days, I have come to one of the hardest decisions of my life. So here's the deal, guys. Um, My campaign for president simply does not have the financial resources to continue and the financial resources we need to continue. I'm not a billionaire. I can't fund my own campaign. And as the campaign has gone on, it has become harder and harder to raise the money we need to compete. In good faith, I cannot tell you, my supporters and volunteers, that I have a path forward if I don't believe I do. So, to you, my supporters, my dear supporters, it is with deep regret, but also with deep gratitude, that I am suspending our campaign today. Jim, we've said for a while now that she is at least among the phoniest candidates in this field. Um, The fact that she couldn't figure out where she stood on Medicare for All, where she stood on busing, her attack on Biden, getting attacked by Gabbard, all of these things definitely worked uh, against her. She thought she was top tier, and she probably was at least very close to it uh, in in mid to late summer. And uh, here we are between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and she's not even going to make it to Iowa. Yeah, um, I can come up with a bad angle to this good martini and a good angle to our bad martini uh, <laughs> today. You know, sometimes you get an unusual flavor that has both good and bad feelings about it. But let me observe, obviously, look, this was not someone who... Um, you and I agreed with very much. And in fact, you, you think about how she described her powers, the presidency, what she wanted to do 
as president, um, I think she was one of the more dangerous options in the Democratic field. My colleague, Charlie Cook, laid out all the different ways in which she kept saying, I, I'm going to use my executive power to make people do this. I'm going to we're going to take some actions on the Second Amendment, you know, if, if Congress won't act. The arguments against the it's only the out party that ever seems to complain about the imperial presidency. A few of us do remember, hey, wait a second. You know, we don't want uh, one person setting massive policy. We're supposed to be doing these things through a legislative process. You don't get to just, you know, hey, I'm going to executive order this thing if, if Congress won't act. Uh, but that was her attitude towards a whole bunch of these things. And uh, thankfully for us, she turned out to be a bad candidate. I actually thought she had a decent chance of beating Trump. Uh, but I think this is the, the most fascinating thing about watching Kamala Harris over the past year or so have been how heading into this on paper, she had such a, you know, she had such a, uh, you know, just the right resume to appeal to Democratic primary voters. She was African-American. She was a woman. You know, there, there was she on paper. She brought a lot to the table. And then as a candidate, she just wasn't that good. Um, I think the factor that, look, everyone's going to point to all kinds of different uh, things. A lot of people say, oh, Tulsi Gabbard's debate, you know, dissection of her record as a prosecutor did it. I certainly think that didn't help any. That kind of fits into a broader pattern of Kamala Harris saying uh, she'd take a position and then it would not play well and she would back away from it. Did this in healthcare a couple of times. Was she going to get rid of private insurance? Uh, she was initially open to letting felons vote from behind bars. And then she said, oh, wait, no, I didn't. I don't really support that. A couple other times over the course of the campaign, she would offer a plan. It would not go well. And she would say, well, actually, what I meant to say or what my actual position is and stuff like that. And it was kind of interesting to see that the New York Times had that devastating little pro profile of her, very in-depth, lots of on-the-record quotes from people on her campaign staff saying that the problem was other people on the campaign staff, uh, which is never a good sign for it. But every campaign has some infighting. Um, what really jumped out on that article was the was the indecisiveness of Kamala Harris, and I think she, what she I think the the best way to summarize it is she wanted to run as the ideal woke candidate to really excite the progressives, many of whom are currently much more enamored with Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, and then she would do that, it wouldn't go well, and then she would back away from it, and she ended up satisfying either side. It did not go well for her. I do think there is a little bit the possibility the next debate stage is going to have entirely white candidates. I think there's reason for Democrats to be bothered by that. I think there's reason for all Americans to be bothered by that. Uh, not so much in this, by the way, I wrote in the corner yesterday, if you're wondering why Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and Julian Castro aren't qualifying for those stage, well, it's because they're doing very, very badly amongst African-Americans and Latinos. It's not, oh, whites are keeping them out. It's like, oh, no, actually blacks and Latinos aren't that interested in supporting these candidates. I do think kind of says something, oh, you know, Steyer made it for his billions uh, Bloomberg is hanging around. He's got his billions. I, I think it's understandable. There'd be some frustration that you're seeing guys who can sell fun hang around forever, whereas other candidates can't. And I think, you know, also the other thing is that it's running, running for president is different in an era when you have 25 people competing for the same donor base. So those darn racist Democratic primary voters that we keep hearing about, they just won't give these people a chance. Although, you know, if, if you really do care about uh, the diversity on the debate stage, because that's where all the media went with this story yesterday, you could still donate to Yang. You could still donate to Booker. Uh, you could still donate to Gabbard. I mean, they're all uh, they're all still in the race. And for what it's worth, Yang is close to qualifying. It all depends on you. Know, the, the DNC set up this category of well, you got to have this many uh, donors. Which, by the way, apparently Mike Bloomberg will never appear on a debate stage because he's not interested in donors. Right. Um, and the second, so Yang's close. Gabbard's got a shot. It looks like Booker's not going to make it. People forgot Castro was in the race, so I don't think he's anywhere near getting close to it. The DNC tried to make it fair. And in the end, the billionaires are still doing fine. And, and the lesser known candidates, the ones who are minorities, didn't do as well. And it's kind of understandable that they would be 
frustrated with this setup. And I'm not sure it's you. Know, I, I want an America where anybody who's really good has a shot at getting the nomination. And you can define good a little very differently. But uh, the idea that, you know, the, the self-funders are going to continue to have such a giant advantage in this, I, I think there's a good reason for Democrats to be grumbling about that. Jim, turns out uh, that you can't donate to Wayne Messam anymore. Apparently, he dropped out. I noticed that yesterday in a list of people who had dropped out after Harris did. Um, did he? Poor- I, I, I want the <laughs> listeners to know, this is the first I'm hearing of this. <laughs> yeah, poor- and I, I was vaguely aware of the fact that Andrew Messam was running for president. Wayne Messam. <laughs> Wait, whatever. Messam. He was the big soccer player, right? And therein lies Don't the- mess with Messam or something. <laughs> Don't mess him with Texas. <laughs> A uh, parting shot comes from former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who was uh, a guest on uh, the Shannon Bream show on the Fox News channel last night. She asked him about uh, impeachment, I think, and then the fact that Kamala Harris was getting out, but she would be a juror, assuming this goes to an impeachment trial. One of the jurors who will be sitting in the Senate is now Senator Kamala Harris. She won't be on the campaign trail anymore. She dropped out today. Any thoughts on that? Well, um, she said she claimed one of our great achievements was to stand up to Jeff Sessions, Brett Kavanaugh, Attorney General Barr, and President Trump. Well, she's 0 for 4. All four of them are still standing, and she's out. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that Keebler elf can be mean when he wants to be. And with that, Jeff Sessions unclipped his mic and dropped it on the counter and walked off the set. But uh... (laughs) Jim... Apparently, the country's really racist because not only are Democrats racist for not giving the minority candidates more money and more attention and more support in the polls to get them on the debate stage, but all the ones that support President Trump are also racist. That means pretty much the whole country's racist. Who says all the Trump supporters are racist? Well, that would be Pete Buttigieg, who, as you know, is not doing well among black voters uh, in the Democratic primary. But uh, he was at an event uh, yesterday where he decided that there's no excuse Uh, for supporting President Trump unless you're just either ignoring uh, racial issues or you're actually uh, hostile towards racial harmony. Anyone who supported this president is, at best, uh, looking the other way on racism, at best. Jim, it's, we've talked about this before. It's a classic move where if you can't make inroads in uh, different uh, demographics and you, or you don't understand why the person you really don't want to win is still doing well, it's got to be racism. Yeah. And look, this is why I think there's a little bit of a, you know, the, the good aftertaste to this bad martini is that I'm sure there's a decent number of Republican or Trump supporting listeners out there who are like, "Ooh, run with this, Democrats. Go with it. You know, nominate Pete and Pete, you beat this drum as much as you can. You make this election uh, a referendum on were you racist to vote for Trump in 2016 um, and see how many Trump voters you get to flip back. And that's the thing. Could Democrats win by increasing their turnout above the level it was in 2016? Sure. And in fact, you know, among the challenges Democrats have, run somebody more likable than Hillary Clinton is really not the highest bar they have to clear. But that having been said, you probably want to win back some of those folks who voted for Trump. And as many, you know, demographic studies and polls have indicated, there were a decent number of people, particularly in those key upper Midwest states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, uh, uh, Wisconsin and Iowa, who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump. And if your attitude is, well, you know, first of all, the fact that they voted for Obama twice would be the first piece of counter evidence gives the idea that, they're, oh, they're always driven by racial animosity. And I don't think people subscribe to this, you know, the theory that, oh, they were not racist as in 2012, but within that four-year period, they somehow became racist. No, no, no. 
look, there were legitimate reasons to vote for Donald Trump in the 2016 general election. I know this is going to shock people at edge, but you know what? A lot of people didn't like Hillary Clinton. And that, you know, probably was the single biggest factor in why he won. This is a, a you know faint, more polite echo of the deplorables argument. Look, it's politics, right? You know, it's rough. It's not beanbag. Wear a cup. Life is going to be tough. You want to attack your opponent, go right ahead. Just just hammer them, uh, rip into them. Your opponent's a duty head. You know, all, neater, neater, anything you want to say, go right ahead. The moment you start attacking the other guy's voters, look, on paper, you're supposed to be trying to win these people's votes. Every president, oh, I'm going to be a president for all Americans. If you think, you know, 60 some million people are racist, well, then you're not going to be a president for all Americans, right? You've already prejudged them to be terrible people. Anyway, that's uh, that's where that's. I mean, I, I can see this. I can understand why Democrats, you know, because you know, at the heart of the Democratic mindset is we are better people, right? That's that's the the operating principle of all this. And again, maybe Buttigieg, if he gets the nomination, will instantly forget this or backtrack or you know, offer a more nuanced take. But uh, all in all, I think this is a uh, pandering and and catering to uh, uh, to Democratic voters in a way that probably is very harmful to the country even if it does succeed. And I don't really think it's going to, I don't really don't think it's a particularly wise strategy for a general election. And he just kneecapped uh, his, one of his stronger arguments, if he has strong arguments for being the nominee at, at younger than 40 years of age. And that's that, hey, I understand the blue collar American because I'm from the Midwest. I understand why they did what they did, even though I disagree with them. I'm the guy who's in a unique position to win them over. Oh, and by the way, you're all racist. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not... like, I mean, like, did, you know, does he think most people in Indiana are racist? His home state? You know, I, I got to go back and check. I know, I know South Bend's pretty blue, but I'm going to guess that, you know, Trump probably got 30, 40. There were not a lot of jurisdictions where Trump lost, you know, less than like 30%. So do you think 30% of your fellow citizens are racist? 40, 50 statewide? Good luck. Or as they say in uh, dodgeball, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for him. <laughs> that's right. Well, Jim, you said that politics takes its toll and sadly, so does age. And uh, while the holiday season may be upon us, you don't let, have to let uh, age and its effect on uh, your, your skin have the last word because this is the time of year where your family, maybe getting together with some friends, uh, you, you take a lot of pictures, maybe even some videos, and you're capturing all the laughs, the smiles, and the posing, some of them close up, and then also every under-eye bag or crow's feet or wrinkles. And, yeah, I mean, those are the telltale signs of aging. We all age. It's unavoidable, despite how hard you might try sometimes. And uh, nobody wants those images permanently etched in their holiday cards. So now imagine all those issues are gone. Not through some risky, expensive surgery. We're talking about just getting rid of them in minutes. Uh, you can do it with Plexiderm, which is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in just minutes. It's exactly what you need to get through the holiday season and beyond. Don't believe it? Just try it. Now you won't have to imagine anymore. You will look like yourself just 10 years younger. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you need to face, oh, let's say that judgmental family member, because we all have one, Aunt Edna. <laughs> that best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it unless you choose to tell them. Get Plexiderm's holiday promotion. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use our promo code Martini for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. I'm just thinking about uh, Aunt Edna, mainly from vacation, but uh, everybody's got one, even if her name's not Edna. That's right, 50% off plus an additional $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 
1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code MARTINI. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code MARTINI at checkout. Again, triplexiderm, P-L-X-A-D-E-R-M.com. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And for this one, we stay pretty close to home here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, which is bluer and bluer, especially after Democrats did very, very well in uh, the elections last month. So there's a Democratic governor, Ralph Northam, and the Democrats will be in control of the state House of Delegates as well as the state Senate. And the first thing they really want to do is bring a lot of gun control measures, even far more aggressive than Governor Northam was uh, pitching last year in the wake of the uh, mass shooting in Virginia Beach. But uh, the redder parts of Virginia are not taking this lying down, and dozens of local jurisdictions now are putting together sanctuary policies. Some cities, lots of counties, some of the more rural areas of the state, but not in every situation. And they're essentially saying, look, what you want to do is unconstitutional. We're not going to enforce that. The sheriffs have the right uh, as a constitutional officer to say whether they're going to enforce those laws or not. Well, Democrats who love the idea of sanctuary cities and counties when it comes to not cooperating with ICE and federal law requiring that local jurisdictions hang on to people in the country illegally who have committed uh, crimes and uh, ICE is uh, looking to get over there and pick them up when their time in, in jail has, has ended. Uh, they are not happy about this at all. There's a Democratic delegate named Ken Plum who represents Reston, which is near D.C., so blue part of the state, talking with uh, NBC4, the Washington NBC affiliate here. He says, quote, the notion that you can have a locality void a state law by declaring yourself a sanctuary simply is not going to hold up in court. Jim, the double standards are dizzying. Look, uh, it's uh, maybe we're being a little bit unfair here, Greg, because I, I've actually talked to a couple of Democrats about this. And they, they made this pretty compelling argument once you look at it through their eyes. See, they say that, look, these gun nuts are going to declare sanctuary counties and sanctuary cities just because they've decided that gun laws would be unfair, unjust, or against American values, or maybe even that they're just unconstitutional. The difference is that Democrats, they create sanctuary cities and sanctuary counties against immigration laws because they've decided that these laws are unfair and unjust and against American values and maybe even unconstitutional. So, Greg, do you see the difference? (laughs) Yes, it's an issue they don't like. So they uh, have a much different standard now. I do not like uh, sanctuary cities for the rather you know glaring point of uh, we've seen many a couple of multiple cases in which you catch guys who actually are violent and it turns out that they were uh, processed in cities that were in sanctuary cities and like that they end up getting released they don't get handed over to ICE and they end up committing another violent crime that kind of nightmare scenario is why you'd want at minimum take a a real look at this. And if you're going to, you know, not turn somebody over to ICE, you know, whether for jaywalking, fine. For anybody with a violent crime, I really don't understand this. I don't understand how you can justify somebody who's committed a violent crime, does not belong in this country. Oh, we're not going to handle over ICE and it looks like political pandering. In the case of the these, you know, gun law sanctuaries, first of all, is there a little bit of mischief in the in the minds of these uh, Second Amendment advocates? Sure, sure. Um, do they kind of want to, you know, ter- do this in precise, this kind of precise scenario where like they make Democrats insist, no, 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 our sanctuary counties are totally different. Yes, of course. But uh, look, I'm sure they're going to make the argument. I am sure right now lawyers for the National Rifle Association and all kinds of other groups are ready to make the argument that just about anything that comes down the pike from North Northam is going to be unconstitutional. They may win, they may not. Um, but I think it's safe to say they're going to, you know, take their chances with judges and to say, no, no, this is a, uh, 
uh, in violation of the Second Amendment. You can't do this sort of thing. And the other thing is that, you know, yes, good for you, Democrats. You did win big, you know, you've won big in several consecutive cycles in, in Virginia. You now have majority of this. But there are some chunks of your uh, state that vehemently disagree with this. And uh, Stephen Gutowski, who covers this uh, issue for Washington Free Beacon and other places, um, there was a huge turnout here in Fairfax County uh, in, in this kind of a notion. I, I don't know if Fairfax is necessarily uh, uh, contemplating this. It's kind of tougher, but... Fairfax is perceived as this deep blue, you know, part of the, the northern Virginia, uh, D.C. suburbs. But there are, look, there are still lots of Republicans uh, who live in this place. Still certainly lots of right-leaning people who live here. Let me give you the distinction since, Greg, I know you live a little bit down the road. How do you know it was a Hillary Clinton supporter in my neighborhood in Fairfax County? Bumper stickers, yard signs, that sort of yard thing. Yard signs, right? How did you know the Trump voters? The ones who didn't have Hillary signs. The ones who had nothing. Right? You know? But they're there. They may not want to advertise it. They may not want to get their car keyed or, you know, toilet paper, flaming bag of poo on their doorstep or something like that. But they're there and they're going to vote on this. So anyway, we'll see. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of wonder if this is, you know, the, the awakening, the sleeping giant sort of thing. But uh, And by the way, it would be nice to see these people as active during the state legislative elections. But um they, they perhaps weren't as that. But again, this is, you know, this is a, these are folks who are not going to go quietly. And uh, maybe this will get uh, Democrats to rethink things. But my guess is you'll just see more arguments of, no, 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 our sanctuary counties are totally different than yours. And that's why they're okay. In Prince William County, where I live, uh, you know, it was a blue wave there. And uh, it had been a Republican board. It's going to be a Democratic board. So the lame duck Republican board is planning to put in a sanctuary policy and the uh, incoming uh, chairwoman of the democratically controlled board has said that'll immediately be repealed come January. Let's go right ahead. Let's put this front and center before voters. Good luck, everybody. Yes, yes, yes. All right, Jim, happy Wednesday. You're actually off tomorrow. Uh, You're on a field trip. So uh, good luck with that. Fourth graders (laughs) going to a major historical site in Virginia. Lord, I hope they don't barf too much this time. You know, they always want you to help out with the school, Greg, and I prefer to do it like a Band-Aid. I'm ripping it off as quickly and painfully as possible all in one big day. Well, as I recall, the Garrity field trip policy is as long as you show back up with the uh, same number of kids you left with, you're good. And if they're the same kids you left with, bonus points. Exactly. I mean, I'm coming back with 30 kids, Greg. <laughs> I can't make any guarantees. But, you know, just, just think of it as like, you know, elementary school free agency. <laughs> You're going to lose a few, but you you bring back some new ones, and hopefully everybody's happy with the new mix. Well, enjoy. Enjoy. I will uh, be glad to hear all about it on Friday. See you then. See you Friday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. So glad you stopped by for the discussion today on the Three Martini Lunch. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Also, leave us a great review over at iTunes. That helps us out a lot. And don't forget to uh, visit our great sponsor, Plexiderm, at tryplexiderm.com. And we look forward to having you back Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.